Well, praise God. How's everybody doing this morning? Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. I just want to say thank you to you all. We know that you've uh, sacrificed a lot. You loved us a lot. And, uh, you know, my mom was blessed. She had me. So she was doing pretty good. But I know some of you, you uh, mothers out there have had it rougher than my mom. So I just want to, to make, just want to say thank you to you guys. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't ask her, though. She'll deny it. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. I had a wonderful mother, and I'm so thankful and blessed for her. And, and uh, I'm sure that your kids are, are thankful and blessed for, uh, because of, of all the mothers and all the sacrifice and all the love that you've shown. So we just want to say thank you and honor you this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, are you guys ready for the word this morning? Let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your great love. We thank you for every blessing that you've bestowed upon us. And Lord, I pray that as we come to your word this morning, that our hearts would be open to receive it, that our ears and our eyes would be open to receive what you have for us, Lord. Lord, we want to grow. We want to know you more. We want to get closer to you. We want to understand your word. And we want to do and be in your will. So this morning, Father, thank you for opening the eyes of our understanding and that we would grow and mature in our faith this morning, in our love this morning, and in our revelation of who you are. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So actually, before we get started, to point out a couple of uh, things that have changed, you've noticed we got rid of the big giant pole that was in the middle of the room that had our temporary lights. We got some newer lights up, uh, thanks to Pastor Paul Neville who, Neville, who came and helped do that. But you'll also notice that all of our colored lights are missing, and that is because we had a failure in one of the lights. So unfortunately, I got to order some new ones, but they were mounted up there, hence the holes in the ceiling and the cables dangling down. We pulled them down for now, but they will get mounted up there, and then uh, things are looking a lot nicer and a lot cleaner. We don't have the big pole there anymore. Soon we'll have the speaker mounted, and we won't have that pole there anymore, and it'll be a, just a lot nicer and a much more room up here, so praise God for that. But with no further ado, let's get to the Word. So this morning, uh, we're going to start a new series, and we do this series every single year. You know, and I've, I've, I've often wondered, like, is it, is it a bad thing to be preaching about the same things every single year? And every time that I, I think that, one, I'm reminded that, you know, we have new people in the church that weren't here a year ago. They haven't heard these, so it's not, not uh, another, the same message, the same uh, themes as we've done for them. It's new for them, but also, I'm also reminded when Peter said that I will stir you up by way of reminder. How many of us sometimes we need to be reminded of some things? You know, really what we're going to be going over the next several weeks are kind of the basics of who we are, the basics of what we believe. You know, those of you who are mature Christians, you've been here a while, I'm like, I've heard this stuff before, I know all this stuff. But the truth is, sometimes we need to get re reminded of those basics. You know, I was, uh, when, my, uh, when I was, my girls were growing up, they played volleyball. Well... They were on a volleyball team when they're little. You ever watch kids' sports? It's, it's sometimes tough to watch. They're, they're, they're playing the sport, <laughs> you know. You watch the kids out there playing soccer, and they're just not paying attention. Ooh, butterfly. Ball's going right by them. They're not paying attention. Well, when my girls were playing volleyball, most of the teams were like that. You know, it was just like herding cats to get them in there and play. But there was this one team, 
And he had like the smallest girls of all the girls. And they were, they were all super young, but they're all really small. And he was uh, an ex U of A volleyball coach that was coaching this little, uh, uh, what do they call that? It's the, the, the state teams. Uh, uh, no, not club. The, when you're not in club, if you're. Uh, yeah, rec ball. There was a name for it when, when my girls were in Anyway, just the recreational volleyball team. Anyway, this guy, he was the ex-U of A coach, and he was just volunteering his time to, to coach these girls, and they never did anything fancy. All they did was the basics. That's all he taught them was the basics, and they schooled everybody. You know, they, 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 were, they weren't taught to do anything special, but he taught them the basics, the fundamentals, and they were so much better than every other team that it was just, it was, it was awful watching them play with one of the other teams because it's bad when two bad teams play against each other, but when it's a bad team and a good team, you know, you just feel bad for the bad team because they're not even getting close. But they were so good because they followed the fundamentals, just the basics. And the same is true for us as Christians. If we'll get a hold of the basics, if we'll just make sure that we're following the basics, you will be a stronger Christian than you, you've ever been before if you just start focusing on that. Start there. Get the fundamentals taken care of. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. Because it's important to understand who we are as a church. Because if you understand who we are as a church, then you understand why we do the things that we do. Did you know that you're not the things that you do, but you do the things that you do because of who you are. Who you are, out of who you are, flows the things that you do. And, and that's what I want to talk about and really drive into us is who we are. So you understand why we do the things that we do, but if you come to grips and, and, and really get a hold of who we are, naturally, out of that will flow. The things that you do will match who that you are. And who we are, our core, our culture, um, the, 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 the focus of who we are is what spurs every decision that we make as a church. And as a Christian, understanding the core of who you are should spur every decision that you make. So over the course of this series, over the course of the next oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten weeks is about how long it takes to get through this now. It didn't used to be ten weeks. We've added as we've gone along. But today we're going to talk about that we're a people who were saved by grace. We're going to talk about next week that we're a people who walk by faith. Notice in the, the basics of these things here. The next week we're going to talk about we're a people who are worshipers. We're a people who are filled with the Spirit. It's the fourth week. We're a people who pray. That's the fifth week. The sixth week is, is that we are family. After that, we're going to talk about how we're a people who are generous. And then finally, we're going to end the last three weeks, kind of sum up our mission statement as a church. And that's that we evangelize, we equip, and we empower. So what that means is that as a church, we want to be evangelizing the lost. How many know that that is our purpose, that is our goal, is, is our goal is not to just come and have a great Sunday service. Now, we like those things. We enjoy coming together. We need that connection. But the truth is, our primary mission is to go out and tell people about Jesus, to get them saved. Our primary mission is to evangelize the lost. But then after that, we want to bring them in. We don't want to just make converts. The truth is, is the American church is great at making converts, but we stink at making disciples. But that's the second part, to equip. We want to equip people 
to, to be able to step out into their ministry. We want to be able to equip them for what God has for their lives. That's actually what Sunday morning service is about, is you to come in and get equipped. It's not for you to come in and be served. It's not for you to come in and, and, and hit your spiritual checkbox, but it's so you can learn, that you can grow, that you can be equipped so that you can step out for the third part, which is to be empowered to step out into what God has called you to do. You know, as a church, we have a dream to raise up pastors and evangelists and actually send them out. We want to plant churches. We want to send evangelists out there to, 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 to make a difference and lead people to the Lord. So that is our, our mission statement as a church, is to evangelize the lost, to equip the saints, and empower them to step out into their ministry as God has called them to do. So that's what we're going to learn about over the next 10 weeks, who we are as a church and kind of our mission as a church. But we got to start somewhere, and today we start with the most fundamental thing about being a Christian, and that's that we are saved by grace. The truth is, is that none of us can save ourselves. We are saved by grace, which is the gift of God, through faith, which is putting your trust in that. The key points that we all need to remember is that you can't earn it. We need to remember that it's a gift and it's available to all people. And as a result of this salvation, that we are completely clean. We have been redeemed. We have been made brand new. And if you can remember those three key points, you can lead people to the Lord. You just need the basics. Just tell them that. God loves them. That if you put your trust in him, every sin you've ever had, you're forgiven of. It's completely behind you. You're completely free. You put your trust in him, then you are made brand new. That's good news. That's enough to get people to say yes. Amen? But one of the key things that we need to understand to really even get a grasp of you know, why do we even need a Savior is we need to understand that we do need a Savior. The, the reality is, is that we need a savior romans 3:23. for some have sinned and fall short i read that wrong for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god how many fall, fall short of the glory of god all of them there's not a single person on earth who is good enough the only person that ever lived on this earth that was good enough was jesus christ the truth is, is that we need a Savior. Every single person has fallen. Every single person doesn't measure up. And that includes all of us that have said, yes, we get that. That's why we said yes. But there are so many people out there that, that have decided that, no, that they are good enough. That maybe someday they'll stand before God and He'll weigh their good deeds and their bad deeds. And that's how they'll get into heaven. But the reality is, is that there's not enough good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds. You can never tip the scale because a single sin sends that side to the floor. The reality is, is that we all need a Savior. John 16, 8-9 says this, but when He comes, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit, it says when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in Me. How many of you guys have read that, that the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin? How many know that that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's going around pointing out people's sins? See, that's the problem is a lot of times we read these verses 
and we just stop right there. Oh, it says here the he's going to convict the world concerning sin. That must mean that he's going to point out everybody's failures. If you just read one verse more, it says, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. He's not pointing out their sin. The Holy Spirit's pointing at Jesus, saying, hey, you need to believe in him. Hey, you need a Savior. The truth is, is we all need a Savior. Maybe we should take this approach with people. Instead of standing up with a sign saying, you're all go to hell, maybe we should stand up with a sign that says, God loves you and there's a place for you. That you don't have to go to hell. Instead of pointing out their failures, point out Jesus' success. Instead of pointing out their failures, let them know that, that God made a way for them. Because the ultimate truth is, is every single one of us were born sinners. You read the stories in the paper today. Anybody ever heard somebody say, oh no, children are innocent, they have to learn this stuff? Have you ever heard that? I've heard that, where people will claim that, oh no, kids are born innocent and they have to learn all this bad stuff. They have to learn how to lie and to cheat and to steal. You don't have to spend very much in the, in the, spend much time in the paper to see that that's not true. When you see little kids, I mean, I've read stories now of little young kids killing other kids. And that's the worst of it, but I never had to teach my kids not to share. I had to teach them to share. They come by that naturally because we're all born broken. We're all born as sinners. We're all born with the need of a Savior. And that's the whole purpose of the law. God sent the law not to save us. I mean, you know, the law was good, but it couldn't save us. God sent the law to show us that we needed to be saved. He said, here's my plumb line. Here's what you have to measure up to. And we all went... Well, shoot, none of us measure up. The whole purpose was to show us that we needed a Savior. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Not a single person. There is a real need for salvation. And the truth is, is just as all of us before we got saved yearned for something else, the people around us are yearning for that same thing. Some of them don't even know it. That's why they get involved in drugs and sex and girls and clubs and all of those things because they're looking for something to fulfill a hole inside of their heart. They don't even know what they're looking for, but that's what they're looking for. And you want to know why they keep doing it over and over and over again? Because none of that stuff ever fulfills. Jesus is the only thing that can fulfill. Jesus is the only one that can bridge that gap. But there's good news too. It doesn't stop here that the, the fact that he wants to bridge that gap. But the most amazing thing to me is that God doesn't love us for the things that we've done. How many of you know that's good news? God doesn't love you for the things that you've done. The truth is, God loves you in spite of the things that you've done. You know, because I, I don't know about you guys, but there's stuff about me that nobody knows. Not even my wife, nobody but God knows. And he still loves me in spite of those things. We all fall short. We all have been born broken. But God has provided a supernatural solution that without, we would otherwise be hopeless. We'd otherwise be lost in an impossible situation. We need a Savior, amen? 
Then in Romans 3, 24 through 25, it says, and are, are justified by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. The great news is that even though every single one of us, without fail, has fallen short, every single one of us can be justified by his grace. Grace is often defined as simply not getting something you deserve. Right, you guys have ever heard those simple definitions? Grace is not getting, or grace is getting what you don't deserve. Sorry, grace is getting what you don't deserve, where mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So grace, this idea of getting something we, we don't deserve, but it's so much more than that. Because grace truly is, is everything that, that God accomplished in His Son, Jesus Christ. That was actually what, this grace that we received is everything that was accomplished in our righteousness. That's grace. God's patience with us. That's grace. God patient with anybody here? Amen. Certainly patient with me. That's grace. Everything God accomplished in His Son. Freedom from sin, that's grace. Release from death, that's grace. And the best part is, is every single one of these things are free. He says that we are justified by His grace as a gift. We don't have to earn it. Like I said earlier, it's, it's in spite of it. It's because of God's love for us. Do you know that God's love for you eclipses anything that you can even imagine? You know, we're celebrating Mother's Day today, and, and you, guys, you moms, you know what love is. You love your children. That doesn't even compare to the love God has for you. And it's a gift. You don't earn it. You just receive it. And then it goes on and says that, that this justification by God's grace, the, the receiving of things we don't deserve, through the redemption that is in Christ, it was through Christ that these things happened. He is more than enough. How many know that Jesus is more than enough? How many know there's not a sin that you have that was so bad that can't be redeemed by Jesus Christ? You know, most of us would do well to remember that when we're looking at other people that sin against us or sin in our life. I remember once sitting with my pastor and I was complaining about Blake about something. I know mean, he was little and, oh, no, that's, but it was something that I, I, I was frustrated with with him and I don't even remember what it was. And, you know, you ever go to your pastor hoping for, for him to just agree with you, but then he uses the Bible against you? Has that ever happened to you? He said, when I was upset about this, and it was probably something he was doing over and over again, I was like, well, how do you think Jesus feels about you when you do the same stuff over and over and over again? We should treat other people the way that God treats us. Amen we think about what God was willing for, to forgive, why aren't we willing to forgive? Why aren't we willing to extend grace like that? But the truth is, is God did this. That was his method, was to do this through his son. And without Jesus, there would be no redemption. There would be no hope. But God put him forward as propitiation for us. The result of Jesus going forth and dying on the cross made it so that we're not guilty anymore. He bore all of our guilt. 
He's the one that redeemed us. Did you know that if you go before a judge and you're, you're, you, you, you go to court and you're pronounced not guilty, it's as if the charges were never even brought against you. You're, you're not just not guilty, but the charges go away. Everything is as if you were before this whole thing ever started. So legally, when, when Jesus dies for us and we're redeemed, it's legally it's as if we'd never even been accused. We're forgiven and we're free. When God forgives our sins, our record is completely wiped clean. And from his perspective, it's as though we have never sinned. It's not something that's held over our head. That's what it means to propitiate. It's to appease. God has been appeased by his son. And then the only requirement after that is that we receive it by faith. We don't earn it. We don't perform for it, but we still have to receive it. Receive it by faith. And I've heard people say that, well, then isn't faith just some kind of works? Isn't that some kind of work? And I, I, I get what they're trying to say, but the truth is, is if you read the Bible and you read about faith and you read about, about works, they're never even compared in the same sentence. Matter of fact, they're contrasted. Faith isn't works. But if we don't receive it, if we don't accept it, then it does us no good. So let me give you an example. There's been times where we've been sitting in a restaurant and God prompts us and we say, you know, we're going to pay for that family's dinner. Or I've even had that happen to me. Someone's paid for me. How many of you know if somebody's bought my dinner and the waitress comes and says, hey, don't worry about your bill. It's already been paid. And I go, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I want to pay it myself. How many know that if I don't receive that and I choose to pay it myself, I can do that? Now, would anybody say that my dinner has not already been paid for? It already has, right? So the, the other person already paid for my dinner, even though I had the choice to reject that. But it's already been paid for. I just had to receive that gift. That's what it's like with Christ. We have to receive that gift. The truth is, is sin has been dealt with. It's been dealt with in His Son. Jesus Christ died for all of us while we were yet sinners. For the entire world, sin has been dealt with. There are just people who reject that free gift and choose to pay for it themselves. This morning, if you haven't received that free gift, don't keep rejecting it. Go ahead and say yes. Put your faith in Him. Don't choose to pay for your sin yourself when it's already been paid for by somebody else, which was Jesus Christ. Amen? Ephesians, 7, uh, Ephesians 1, 7-10, through 10, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Once again, we see that word redemption. We have redemption through His blood, which is good because every single one of us falls short. How many know that a payment is required for sin? The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. There is a requirement for sin. There is a payment that is owed. 
And redemption, the word redemption is the regaining of something through payment, the clearing of a debt. The truth is, is that we owed death for our sin, no matter what sin, no matter how small you owe death for that sin. But we were redeemed. That debt was paid through Jesus Christ. So we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. We have the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. God's grace is is inextinguishable. It's inexhaustible. So every sin that you have has been forgiven. There's so many people that I've talked to that while they may not outright say it, although some have, but they feel like for some reason their sin is too much. Their failures, how could God love me after I've failed so much? How could God love me after I've done this? You know what, if God knew what I did, there's no way that He would accept me. They think, well, maybe other people can be forgiven. But what I've done is so terrible that it can't be taken care of. But the truth is, is that the riches of God's grace is so indescribable, so unimaginable for us to fathom that they can cover everything. Now it's true, if it was left up to you to repay it, you're, you're hopeless, you're lost, there's nothing that you can do, but for God, your sin is, the, the, the debt of your sin is nothing compared to the riches of His grace. Then we find out that He actually lavishes upon us. To lavish something, do you guys know what that word means? To lavish means to bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities. God pours out His grace on us so that there is always more than enough to take care of anything that you've ever done. And then He says, make known to us the mystery of His will. You know, when it talks about the mystery of God, it's not talking about mystery in the sense of like, you know, Scooby-Doo and the gang would go and solve mysteries. It's not the same word that he's talking about. It's not something that's eerie or scary. But really, it's just something that's not previously understood. It means a sacred secret that was once hidden, but is now revealed to God's people. We're seeing the, that the, uh, the mystery of God's will is that we would be saved, that God loves us, that He wants us to be saved. His plan was always to come to redeem the world, not condemn it. And His will is that none should perish. For those of you that have been around a while, you know that I, I get irritated with the phrase, uh, God works in mysterious ways. Because He doesn't. God's made clear His will in His Word. See, people often use that expression because they don't understand why God has done something, so they're trying to justify it in His own mind. You know, we don't understand when a child is young and they die from cancer. We don't understand so instead of just calling it what it is, that we live in a fallen world and the de devil comes to lie, steal, kill, and destroy, we say, oh, well, must be their time. God just wanted to take them back. God works in mysterious ways. No, He doesn't. And that wasn't God's will. The truth is, is that we live in a broken world and sometimes God's will is not done on this world. It's not done on this earth. If everything on this earth was God's will, why would He ask us to pray that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? His will is 100% done in heaven, but it's not done on this earth. That's why we're supposed to pray for it. There are things that happen that aren't God's will. 
But it's not that God's mysterious. God doesn't want any to perish. God wants all to be whole. You don't have to read that far in His Word to know that. We see that, that, that the, the, the will of God is expressed in His Son so clearly in the New Testament, it's not difficult to understand His will. And His will is that none would perish, that we'd all come to salvation through Him because the mystery of His will has been set forth in Christ. And it's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. You know, there will become a day when God's will is done on this earth, when Jesus comes back and every enemy is set under, the, under his feet like a footstool. But for the time being, the devil does have some freedom in this world. But through Jesus, all things will be united. You see, before Jesus, there was a separation. There was a separation between Jew and Gentile. There was a separation between man and God, but Jesus came to unite those things. And every single one of us, Jew and Gentile, man and God, we are united in Jesus Christ. And we can speak to God face to face, Jew and Gentile alike. And we can approach His throne with boldness. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I think it's the second scripture I ever memorized. The first one being the one that everybody memorizes. John 3.16, right? This was the second one I memorized because I think it is such an amazing passage. Because it's eye-opening to me. Because here's the thing. Forgiveness is good. How many of you know the forgiveness of your sins is good? That's an amazing thing. How many know that if your sins were just forgiven, it wouldn't fix anything about you? That's why the law didn't work. They sacrificed, they were forgiven, and then what did they do? They went out and sinned again. And then they had to have another sacrifice. And they were forgiven. And then what happened? They went and sinned again. So there was this continual need for sacrifice over and over and over because sin could never be fully paid for because the problem wasn't that they were sinning. The problem was that they were sinners. Remember when I talked about earlier that we do what we are? How many know that the people that are walking in the world that aren't saved right now, that they're not sinners because they sin? They sin because they sinners it's the identity of who they are and that's what's so brilliant about this thing is it says that therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation you know that you're no longer a sinner anymore when you're in christ doesn't mean you might not sin from time to time sometimes that old nature sneaks up on us and if we don't take those thoughts captive if we don't deal with that that old stuff tries to creep back in but the reality is in christ you are no longer a sinner you are a saint that's what the bible calls you that is your new identity. And out of your new identity is how you should do things. You're made brand new. It says that if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I don't think we really understand or grasp the reality is that you are brand new. You're not who you used to be. You're not just patched up. You don't just get a fresh coat of paint. 
How many know that, that if uh, I took my truck right now, it's a 2008 Ford F-150, favorite vehicle I've ever owned, but if I went in and I repaired everything and I cleaned it up perfectly and I put a brand new coat of paint on it, I put new tires on it, I replaced all the insides, the carpet, the, the upholstery, and I made it look like it was brand new, that I couldn't go on Craigslist and say, for sale, new Ford F-150. Because it's not new. Or what about this? Have you ever ordered something online and you get it and you realize the package has been opened before? Someone's used it before? Anybody ever get upset because you ordered something that was supposed to be new? Even if they just took it, that's, that's why at the store when you buy something open box, technically it's still brand new, but as soon as they opened it, we don't consider it new anymore. And if anybody tries to sell that as new, we get upset. Matter of fact, you probably have legal recourse because it's not new anymore. When we got born again, we didn't just get wrapped up in a nice package. We didn't just get the upholstery replaced. But we are actually made brand new. 100% we're not who we used to be. You're not just recertified. You don't just have an extended warranty. You're brand new. You're not who you used to be. And this is the supernatural miracle that takes place inside of you when you say yes to Jesus Christ. When you say yes, when you put your trust in Jesus, this isn't just an intellectual decision to live your life in a different way. Something supernatural happens. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen? In Ephesians 2, 4-5, through 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our... Remember when I said that, that uh, uh, sin has been dealt with by God? Because even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ because by grace we have been saved. Everything that Jesus did was while we were dead in our trespasses. The sacrifice for sin happened before people said yes. But it's by saying yes, that's how we receive it, through faith. The previous scripture to this, this is what it says. The verse right before this, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and children of wrath. That was all of us before salvation. But then we get that amazing article. The amazing article, but. My pastor used to always say, you got to make sure that your butts are in the right places. He says, you, we were dead, but God being rich in mercy. God made a difference for us, being rich in mercy, not giving us something that we deserved because we surely deserved it. The wages of sin is death. But instead, he didn't give it to us. But because of the great love with which he loved us, while you were dead in your trespasses, while he knew every single thing about you, every terrible thing, even the stuff that you don't tell anybody, even the stuff where you think that there's no way God could love me, even with all of that, his great love with which he loved you. I don't think people really understand the love of God. You know, one of the things that you could do that would probably help your life, your, your, your life out a lot is that when you first get up in the morning, just begin to tell yourself, he loves me. He loves me. Get up, look in the mirror. God loves me. 
Remind yourself of that all the time. You are loved by God and everything that God does towards us is because of that love. And his love for us is, is unimaginable. We can't even fathom the depth and the, the greatness of the love that he has for us. This is what Max Lucado said. He says, there are many reason, reasons God saves you to bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he is fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. And whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, but he chose your heart. And the Christmas gift he sent you in Bethlehem? Face it, friend, he's crazy about you. God loves you. And even when we are dead in our trespasses, even when we were his enemy, he sent his son to die for us just as we were. The greatest mistake we can ever make is to try to get right with God before we approach him. I've had so many people have this sentiment. They think that they can't come into church or they're going to catch on fire. I've had so many people tell me that. And it's, they have this idea in their head that they have to somehow get their life to a certain point before they can approach God. But the truth is, is that if we had to get our life to some point to approach God, we'd never be able to attain that level. That's a lie of the enemy. The enemy wants you to think that you can never be good enough to even approach God. The enemy wants you to think that you'll never be good enough. The enemy wants you to think that you are worthless. He wants you to think that you're dirty. But God wants you to come to him just as you are. Messed up, broken, and just say yes. And the thing is that God will take care of those things. I once watched a clip of this man who used to do work in India and he would go down to, the, to the, the slums and he would feed the homeless. And he wouldn't just feed the homeless though because, I mean, you, you, have you guys ever seen clips or videos of, of the slums in India? Like, it's, it's bad. It's where the jobless are, the, the people who are dirty. I mean, they're, they're, they're filthy because they don't have the opportunity to clean themselves. This is where society, they, the society puts people that they've condemned and considered unworthy and i was humbled watching this man because he didn't just go down there to feed them but he actually bathed them and he shaved them and he hugged them and he loved them and i have to admit that that uh i was humbled because if i'm being honest i was a little grossed out i think that's why we have trouble coming to God when we feel like that, when we feel unworthy. Because we think that He thinks like we do. We think that He thinks like we do. But the truth is, is that He loves you just as you are, just like this man that would go down there and He would feed him and He would hug him, He would love him. It didn't matter what condition they were in, He would draw them in and just love on them. That's how God wants us to approach him, but there is one difference. You see this man, he went and he shaved them and he bathed them and he loved them and he fed them. 
But when he left, they were still the same way as when he showed up. Sure, they were a little cleaner. Their bellies might have been full, but nothing had changed about them. They still lived in the slums. They, they weren't redeemed. They didn't have a way out. But when God comes to us, it's not like that. When you come to God, he cleanses you and he redeems you. But like we said a little while ago, he makes you brand new. You're not who you used to be. You're not left in the state that you used to be. You're no longer depraved. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer in bondage to death. But you are alive and you are brand new in Christ. He gives you a new nature and a new spirit inside of you. And because of this, you are saved. Amen? Galatians 2.21 says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is just to show that there's no way that we can do it on our own. There's no living right enough that can make you right with God. The truth is, is it's not even possible. I think many people actually really believe that they're going to stand before God one day and, and he's going to put all their good stuff on, on a scale on one side and their bad stuff on the other. And if they just live good enough, then they're going to somehow be okay. You've probably heard this before. I'm, I'm basically a good person. You ever notice that a lot of times when you ask people they think they're good enough, they, don't, they actually don't even say with conviction, I'm a good person. They say, I'm basically a good person. They qualify it. But just like Paul said, if you could do it on your own, then why did Christ die? If, 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 if we could do it through the law, which means that if we could do it on our own, if we could measure up on our own, then Christ died for no purpose. The truth is, is that we can't. We can't do it ourselves, amen? I can promise you this, Christ didn't die for no purpose. God is not one who makes mistakes. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, workmanship created in Christ, Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. You see, grace is this amazing free gift from God to us. But you have to take hold of it by faith. We talked about it earlier. Someone could pay your bill, but you could reject it or you can receive it. For grace you have been saved through faith. That's the thing. We have to put our trust in him and receive it. And salvation is not anything that we do except for putting our trust in him. If we could be good enough, we wouldn't need God's gift. If we could be good enough, then we'd actually have something to boast about. But the truth is, is that we don't. Because no one's ever lived a sinless life except for Jesus Christ. No one has the right to boast. It's the gift of God, not the result of works or what we do, so that no one may boast. And we're his workmanship. So it says in verse 10 that we're his workmanship. It's, we are something that he created in his son. He has accomplished something incredible inside each and every one of us and has restored us to the position that adam had before adam fell i think that's amazing how many know that adam didn't have a past adam didn't have baggage adam didn't have failures he was a grown man with nothing behind him and that's what you're restored to when you say yes to jesus christ 
All of your failures, all of your baggage, all the stuff that was holding you down is gone. You're restored to that same position. And He's working in you continually. We're His workmanship. And then He says we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. You know, this is something we all get confused on as well. We think that that, that uh, many people get this idea that because of your good works, you're saved. And then we know we, we, there was this, this point in time when people kind of got a revelation that, wait a minute, it's not by works, it's by grace. But then they, they let the pendulum swing too far, and then it became this idea of cheap grace, and now there was no works at all. That's why James says that if you uh, show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. James never meant that it's my works that saves me. He says that because I'm saved, you're going to see my works. Remember what I said out of who you are? That, it, that, that drives what you do? And that's what he says. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The truth is, is that God has a plan for your life. That you would be born again, that you would be saved, that you would be made brand new, and out of that, good works would be produced in your life that He has planned and purposed for you. You are His workmanship. He designed you. He made you like a master craftsman. And He loves you. And even before you said yes, He had a plan for you. I talked about our, our vision as a church is to evangelize the lost, to tell them about Jesus. Then we want to equip them, and then we want to empower them to step out in what God has called them to do in their lives. Because God has a plan for each and every single one of you. A plan that you're to walk in. Amen? So church, not only are we a people who are saved by grace, but let's be a people who walk in that grace that He has given us. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.